was trying to do. And yesterday I was so moved. I've never seen anything like this. I've prayed for it. I've begged God for it. Many of you have done the same. We've had people in Washington, D.C. that are part of our ministry team. They're begging God for this. But folks, you don't know what it's like at the end of that sermon by Jonathan Kahn to look down across the National Mall and see somewhere between 50,000 and 100,000 people flat on their face on the National Mall repenting and asking God to send revival to the United States of America. Listen, folks, something's going on that's very good in this country. I'm just telling you, we need God's help and we've sinned against God greatly. But God has never required everybody in a nation. He never did that in Israel. God's always responded, not based on the majority, but based on the minority. Always a remnant of God's people have been the basis upon which God chose to send revival. So I'm not looking for everybody in America to be revived. I'm looking for a remnant to be revived. And God always responds based on that remnant. I believe the remnant's in the church house today here in Union Grove, North Carolina. And so I'm thankful to be here. And I want to tell you this. I was looking on my phone. That's why I ran out to my car after service started because I want to grab my cell phone. I'd forgotten it. But I don't have enough cell service in here to pull it up. So what I'll try to do is uh, do this. I, I posted it yesterday on Facebook. But during the return yesterday, which started at 9 o'clock in the morning, went all the way till about 9 o'clock last night, but early on, evidently, evidently, uh, the President of the United States tuned in and watched a portion of the return. And he was so moved by what he saw that he drafted a National Day of Prayer proclamation for September 26, 2020. And in that, I, I wish I could read it to you. He talked about how I want to take a stand for, and he said, Melania and I, for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've never heard him use that kind of language before. Now, folks, listen to me. God's doing something in our president's heart and in his life. And I could share a lot more with you, and I'm not going to do that right now. But God is on the move in Washington, D.C. And uh, some amazing things took place over the last three days that we were there. And uh, it was phenomenal. And I'll not go into all of it, but maybe before the week's out, I'll be able to uh, read that, copy that uh, proclamation off and, and read it to you. It'll stir your heart. It betrays or reveals an understanding of Old Testament history and what God did in warning Israel and how God is trying to warn America today. But all that said to say this, we're living at a strategic time, are we not? Wonderful time to be alive serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I'm going to get into the Word in just a second. But before I do, I want to do one other thing. Uh, years ago, a man walked up to me, and I don't know if any of you have served in the military or maybe were an officer in the military. You'll understand what I'm about to describe. But a man walked up to me, and he shook my hand. And when he shook my hand, he dropped a coin called a challenge coin into the palm of my hand. Any of you understand the concept of the challenge coins? Okay, what they'll do if an officer in the military, if you've, if you've been a blessing to him or you've impacted his life, then they have these coins made up and they'll come and they'll shake your hand. They'll not tell you, I'm giving you this because you've impacted my life in some significant way. They expect you to know the concept and understand it. Well, I, I had this happen a few times where these guys would shake my hand. They've been in the military or were military officers and they'd drop a coin in my hand. Well, one day a guy did that. Another man was watching, paying attention to what was going on and I think he understood that I didn't know the full uh, concept of what was, what was going on and behind the motivation behind that. So he walked up to me and asked me, he said, preacher, do you understand why that guy I cupped his hand with the coin cupped in his hand and dropped it in your hand when you shook your hand. I said, well, no, I don't think I fully understand. Well, he began to explain what he's trying to tell you without verbalizing all of it is you've had an impact in his life. And that's why he gave you that coin. Well, from that day forward, uh, I've never forgotten that. And by the way, now I've got about 130 of those coins that have been dropped into my hand periodically down through the years by men that served in our United States military. And I've got all of them on a shelf in my study over in Conley Springs, North Carolina. All of that to say this, since I was here last with you folks, what we did as a ministry is we have put together a challenge coin for Hope Ministries International and Hope to the Hill. On the front of it, it says this, for such a time as this. And then it says at the bottom of it, on bended knees, look up. It has an American flag, has a Christian flag. On the back side of it, it has the United States Capitol building and it has a place where we can actually have uh, engraved the members of uh, names of members of Congress that well, we plan to give some of these to. But anyway, it's a beautiful challenge coin. And uh, the one I've got in my hand today, I want to present to somebody here. I want to present it to your pastor. I appreciate you, preacher, so much. And love you and thank God for what you've meant to my life. God bless you so much. Let's let preacher know how much we appreciate him. Uh, I love Pastor Steve. And all through, 
the, uh, the coronavirus uh, pandemic and through the time that they struggled and others of you uh, struggled with it. And uh, I want you to know I prayed for Pastor, his sweet wife. I prayed for you. I prayed for the church. And just prayed God would give every one of you a speedy recovery. And I think with one, one exception of a lady who's in the hospital right now, I think everybody's recovered at least significantly. And we ought to praise God for that. Can I hear an amen? And so uh, I want you to know we've been praying for you about all of it. And by the way, I was out in Oregon for two weeks prior to coming uh, back and going to D.C. I was in Portland one week, and then I was in Eugene, Oregon the second week. And uh, I don't know if you heard about the three guys. Preacher, forgive me. I've just got to share this, all right? This is not theologically correct, okay? It's a joke, all right? So it's not theologically correct what I'm about to tell you, but here's the joke. Three guys died and they went to hell. And the devil greeted them there at the entrance of hell and welcomed them in. And the first guy said, look, I just realized I need to make a phone call. I'm from Florida. I need to make a phone call back to Miami. And the devil said, well, you can do that. He said, "Uh, but it's going to be a little bit expensive. And the guy said, that's okay. I'll cover it. So he grabs a phone from there in hell. He makes a phone call to Miami. Talks an hour. At the end of the phone call, the devil walks up to him and says, that'll be a million dollars for that phone call. And the guy said, wow, that is a little steep. And so the guy standing next to him was from Tennessee. He said, I need to make a phone call to Nashville, something I need to take care of. And the devil said, well, he says, it's going to be a little expensive. He said, that's all right, not a problem. So the guy makes a phone call to Nashville, talks for three hours. At the end of the phone call, the devil comes up to him and says, that'll be $3 million. And he said, wow, that is a little expensive. Well, the third guy was from Oregon. And he said, look, I've got to, I've got to make a phone call to Portland. And so the devil said, well, you know the protocol. So the guy grabbed the phone, made a phone call to Portland, Oregon, talked for about an hour. At the end of it, the devil came up to him and said, that'll be five bucks. And the guy from Florida and the guy from Tennessee now said, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. It was a million dollars to make a phone call to Miami from here. It was three million to make a phone call for three hours to Nashville, Tennessee. How come five bucks for him? And the devil said, well, he said, because of the mayor of Portland, he so lowered the city, it's now a local call from here. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I told that out there and they laughed. You know, they really did. But one guy had a mask on, you know, black on the outside, and he turned it around, and on the inside it said, this mask is as worthless as our governor. That's what it said. <laughs> I said, I challenge you to wear that side. Turned around. He said, no, 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 not out here. But anyway, you know, we can laugh a little about some of it. Look, the virus is real. No question about that. Nobody's ever debated that. Uh, not one time. It's real. But what I have uh, been concerned about is our response to the virus. And what I mean by that is this. Folk, we ought not live in fear. Okay, we ought not live in fear. Every year we face a multiplicity of things, the flu, pneumonia, uh, all kinds of things that could claim our life. I mean, I get in an automobile and drive. And you know what? That is really statistically far more dangerous than any other medical situation if you know anything about the numbers. So the bottom line is this. We face those kind of things every day of our life, and we as God's people ought to live a little different than the world. Should we not? Uh, I drove through a drive-thru, and again, it, you know, just, these things are funny, and preacher, I know I've got a quirky sense of humor, but I drove through a drive-thru to get an iced tea, and no kidding, the guy, whenever he, he said, you know, it'd be $2.02, so I handed him, or got ready to hand him three $1 bills, but what he did is he leaned his, you know, stuck his arm, you know, through the window and toward the window of my car like he was trying to stay as far away from, from me as he could. He said, just, just put your $3 bills right in that cup, and so I did, and he pulls the cup inside, and with his hand now, took the money out of the cup, okay? And then put the money in the cash register, got the change, dropped it in the cup, extended the cup, you know, through the window and dumped it in my hand. And then with his hand that he could have handed me the change with, he grabbed the cash register seat and just handed me that one. And I'm going, have we lost our minds in America? I mean, really, have we lost our minds? We were out in Wyoming, and my sweetheart was, uh, was thirsty. She wanted a Coke, and so, you know, they have restaurants. Some of them open, some of them shut down, you know, and you have to go and order, you know, outside the building, and they just have a limited menu, and they'll turn around and go get what you want and bring it to you. And I said, all I want is a Coca-Cola. That's all in a plastic cup. That's all I need. And so the guy said, that'll be fine. And so uh, he got me my Coke, set it on the counter, and I grabbed my wallet. It's going to pay in cash because, you know, I, I just like paying in cash. And so anyway, he said, oh, sir. He said, oh, sir, uh, we're not taking cash. It has to be a credit card because we're not accepting cash at this moment. Well, right there beside the cash register was a plastic cup with tip money in it. And this guy was a nice guy. I mean, he was a super nice guy. And I didn't want to embarrass him, but... I thought, you know, we do maybe need to make the point here. And I said, well, you know, you actually are taking cash. He said, no, we're not. I said, oh, yeah, you are. I said, there's cash right there in that cup unless it's not good. And if it's not, I'll just take it off. No, I didn't. Anyway, sorry, he sort of chuckled a little bit. And then he got to thinking and he looked at that and he said, you know what? You're right. We actually are accepting cash in the form of. And again, I thought if we lost our minds in this country, you know, what we're doing 
again, it doesn't, doesn't, mean, doesn't mean by any stretch of the imagination the virus is not real. It's very real. But the fact is our response to it cannot be fear. And what I have loved and what I've appreciated about your pastor and his sweet wife and this entire church. And folks, I don't think you fully understand uh, the impact God has given your pastor in this church, in this area. I don't think you fully understand that. But you have taken what needs to be taken seriously, but you've not operated in fear. You're walking by faith. And uh, I believe this, we ought to run two things in faith, not from anything in fear. We ought to run two things. By the way, I was just reading through, and this is not the message, I was reading through 1 Samuel. If you read through that chapter, you'll notice that three different times the Bible talks about David and Goliath and Goliath advancing toward David. He moved forward. He moved toward David. He drew near is the phrase that is often used, which means he stepped forward and moved toward David. When David finally gets into the middle of the valley and chooses his five smooth stones after his encounter with King Saul where Saul wanted him to wear his armor and David said, I haven't proved this. As David gets into the middle of that valley, the scripture says this, and he ran to meet the giant. That is, that thing which everybody else had been running from for 40 days, David ran to it in the strength and the power of the Lord. So, folks, listen, we ought not run from anything in fear. We ought to run to things in faith. Our God is our defense. Either we're going to believe that or we're not. And I told my sweet bride, I said, honey, when we pray Psalm 91 over every... Every room in our house and every single square foot of our house, which we did. Psalm 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow. And that's, that's not a silver bullet. That doesn't mean I'm never going to get sick. But what I said is this, and I said, if we're going to trust God, we're going to trust God. And we're going to die trusting God. We're just going to do that. And folk, I think that's the way we ought to live. By the way, a lost world is watching our response to all of this. And when churches began shutting down in California, there was one pastor, Pastor Brian, I can't think of his last name, but he was the tip of the spear when back on May 17, about uh, 1,000 churches across the state of California together opened their doors again after being shut down for several months. And Pastor Brian just went to one of the local authorities, his, his, his police chief in the, his area, and he said, Chief, I just want to let you know we're not, we're not being arrogant here. We're not trying to be defiant of anything. But we just believe we need to open our churches and, and we need to have church again. And so he said, just want to inform you that's what we're doing. And all across our state, there's going to be about 999 other churches. thereabouts that are going to be opening when we open. And he said that sheriff looked at him and he said this, What took you so long? What took you so long? And Pastor Brown said, What do you mean by that? And he said, Well, we've been waiting on you guys to lead. Because we also believe our governor, Gavin Newsom, has been very egregious, over the top in his mandates. Very unconstitutional in his mandates. So we've been waiting on you guys to lead the way. We just thought you'd do it well before now. What took you so long? Wow, that's powerful. And it goes to what my brother has shared with me many, many times. And that is, Dave, a lost world is watching our response. And if we operate in foolishness, they're going to take note of that. But if we operate in fear instead of faith, they're going to take note of that too. And so what we've got to do is we've got to act with common sense, but we've also got to act in a way that glorifies our God. And folk, the Bible says this, without faith it is not difficult to please the Lord. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. And so what we've got to do, and it's that which separates us from a lost world out there, We've got to operate in faith. And again, for me personally, for me personally, uh, I'm a hugger and I'm a handshaker and I'm not trying to violate anybody's space here. But if you hug or handshake, that's what I do. If you're a little uncomfortable with that, that's fine. Uh, you're not going to offend me one bit. We can do the encouragement elbow if we need to do that. But the fact of the matter is this, uh, for 36 years, and this may be part of the reason why uh, we're just very rarely ever sick. I've been around every kind of disease possible and uh, for 36 years, I think our, our bodies as a family has built up an immunity to a lot of things. And it's not that we couldn't get sick. Please don't think that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying this. Uh, I, I want to walk by faith and not by sight and just trust God. And obviously, that's what you're doing. And I praise God for that. Psalm 11, if you would, please. Psalm number 11, let's get into the Word of God. And I want to tell you right up front, uh, 
God's alive and well on planet Earth and God's alive and well in Washington, D.C. If you're watching the news and uh, all you're doing is watching the news, and I know I said this back on July 5th when I was honored to be here, but folks, I want to underscore it again. If all you're doing is watching the news, you're not even getting anything remotely close to the truth is what God's doing. The last three days in our nation's capital were absolutely astounding. And I could stand here for an hour and a half and tell you everything God did. I'm not going to do that. But what I am going to do tonight, Lord willing, is I want to show you a couple of things tonight via a video of pictures on the screen and I want to get with the guys back there figure out what I need to send to you this afternoon but I want to show you some things and let you see some things feel some things yourself and when I say see and feel I'm literally talking about that I want to escort you into the U.S. Capitol building and I want to let you see with your eyes I want to let you hear with your ears I want to let you feel with your heart what God is doing in that place that CNN and MSNBC and even Fox News is never telling you a single thing about. And I promise you, if you're here tonight, and I would encourage you to be back, bring someone with you. Maybe you know a friend or a neighbor or a family member that's just fed up. I mean, they've had enough of it, and they're not going to, you know, probably even they've told you they're not even going to vote. They're so disgusted with the way things are going on. Can I encourage you to encourage them to be here tonight? Because what you're going to see tonight, folks, is going to cause you to have a whole new perspective uh, as to what God is doing in our nation's capital and what He did yesterday at that event was kind of the capstone up to this point. There's more that God wants to do by far. But that was a big day yesterday to watch all those people on their face crying out to God for forgiveness for their own sin, confessing the sins of our nation, and asking God to have mercy and send one final revival before uh, God comes back, Jesus comes back to take us home. But I want to show you tonight some of the things the Lord's doing. I promise you, I promise you, if you're here, you will leave not only with a different perspective, you will leave beyond encouraged because of what you'll see. So that's going to be tonight. So please be here and let's, uh, let God speak to our heart all this week. Don't miss a single service. And uh, we're trusting God to do some great mighty things. Now, having said that, I want you to look at Psalm 11 and beginning at verse number 1. By the way, in this chapter, there is a verse of Scripture that I've heard preached many, many times. I'm a preacher's son. I grew up in a pastor's home. So down through the years, I've heard this verse of Scripture preached on a number of times. But every time it was preached on, it was always applied incorrectly. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Well, you're going to see the verse in just a second. I'm going to explain. You'll understand how it has been misapplied. Now, I'm not better than anybody else. I don't think I'm better than anybody else. But what I do want to do is be honest with you with respect to what the Scripture says. And I want to show you this verse in its appropriate context. I want to preach it so that you understand what God is trying to say. Because the way I've heard it preached, Pastor Steve, was very negative. Negative, negative, negative. It's like throw up your hands in frustration. Well, I mean, we're on our final run, uh, headlong toward hell, and I know our country's headed that way. But it's almost like there's no hope. No hope is available. I want you to understand there is great hope available, and that hope is available in the person of Jesus Christ and what He wants to do in our individual lives, what He wants to do collectively in the church, and what He wants to do across the length and breadth of the United States of America and literally friends around the world. So look at Psalm 11 and look, let your eyes rest on verse number 1. By the way, David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, is the one who is uttering these words. And I want you to look what he says. In the Lord put I my trust. Can I hear an amen right there? Listen, folks, my confidence is not in who sits in the White House. Never has been, is not now, and never will be. By the way, that doesn't mean I'm not going to vote. I'm going to vote. In fact, this year, I'm going to vote early and often, if you know what I'm saying. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm just joking. But anyway, if I could, I would. fact of the matter is this. I'm going to vote, and I love what your pastor shared about the hats. I love that. By the way, last weekend, last weekend, there was a big rally, you know, on Sunday afternoon, kind of like a Sunday afternoon drive. But they called it, you know, the, 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 the whatever, the Trump rally, you know, car rally, because you can't hold, you know, inside stadiums. I'm not talking about people, folks. Listen, Hickory, Hickory, North Carolina. I'm not talking people. I'm talking about automobiles. There were 3,200 plus automobiles. 3,200. And we were third in line, my bride and I. We were, she was screaming like a teenager at a rock concert, waving her flag. I mean, it was absolutely, she didn't embarrass you, Miss Tammy. I mean, she would have. But anyway, it was awesome. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? You're bringing politics into the pulpit. No, I'm not. I'm saying, folk, I'm going to vote on election day, and you ought to vote as well. Can I hear an amen? We have a divine obligation and a constitutional responsibility to do that. But I want to echo what David said. My confidence is not in any man. My confidence is in the Lord. My confidence is not in a mask either. My confidence is in the Lord. In the Lord put I my trust. Now look at the next thing that David says. It's a question. How say ye, and the ye here are probably his peers, the people that knows David well. 
How say ye, flee as a bird to your mountain? Can I just put that in modern Union Grove, North Carolina English? Get out of Dodge, David. Get out of, flee as a bird to your mountain means get out of Dodge. Get out of here. So David's saying, look, my confidence, friends of mine, is in the Lord. So why are you telling me get out of Dodge? Now stay with me. I have been to the place in Israel where it is believed David penned these words inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to do so. And it's out in a desert place. And he was running from King Saul who was trying to take his life. Do you remember the story? Do you remember the story how David... You know, at times would be summoned into play for King Saul when Saul's spirit would be distressed. And David was a skilled harp player and he'd play on the harp. And the Bible says this, that Saul's spirit was refreshed. And an evil spirit that would trouble him would depart from him. How many of you remember this? Well, David becomes a, a, a confidant of King Saul until, until the green-eyed monster of envy rears its ugly head in King Saul's life. Based on something that happened, I've already referred to this morning from 1 Samuel 17, where David goes out and takes down a 10-foot tall giant by the name of Goliath, and the women of Israel start this chant, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. How many of you remember the story? And Saul, the Bible says, began to eye David. He looked at David differently from that day forward. Are you with me? So things deteriorate so bad that David's now on the run. And he is fleeing into the desert, pinning this psalm inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And he's saying something to his friends. Look, I know the king may be after me, but my confidence is way above the king. My confidence is in the Lord. So why are you saying to me, get out of Dodge? Now look at verse 2. There's a discrepancy or a difference of opinion, should I say here, uh, among Bible scholars as to, to who is actually making the statement here. Is it David making the statement or is it his friends reminding him of this and he's just verbalizing it? Either way, obviously verse 2 is true because it's in the Bible. Look at it. Watch what it says. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. Now if it's David saying this, he's acknowledging it's true. There's people out there that hate me. If it's his friends warning him, they're speaking truth. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string. Folks, look up at me for a minute. There's a hunting illustration going on. By the way, do we have any deer hunters in the room? Deer hunters in the room? Raise your hand if you're a deer hunter, men and women. By the way, I've learned this. Some of the ladies are the best deer hunters. All right, deer hunters. Okay, uh, ma'am, can I say this to you? Uh, my pastor, he said, you, Dave, you know what the word vegetarian means? I said, no. He said, it's Greek for poor hunter. That's what it is, Okay. <laughs> Verse 2 is a deer hunting illustration. Watch. For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow. Watch me. It's like they're reaching into their quiver, drawing an arrow across the bowstring. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privily shoot at the upright in heart. See, it's a hunting illustration. Only the one being hunted here is not a deer. It's a righteous man, David, being the one that's referred to. Are you with me? Some of you ever work in a place, maybe you work in a place right now, where you're the only one that wants to do right, and it's like they've made you the target. The wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privily, secretly. See, when you're a deer hunter, you don't want the deer to know you're there, right? You're up in the tree stand. Man, you draw the arrow. And he doesn't know you're there. All of a sudden, you release that arrow. It whizzes silently through the air. And without him even knowing what's about to happen to him, the arrow gets him. The wicked are trying to do that to God's righteous people. Are you with me? The wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privily, secretly shoot at the upright in heart. Now here's the verse I want to get to. Look at verse 3. Because here's the verse I've heard preached on many, many times but always misapplied. Look what it says. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now folks, look up at me. Here's the way I've always heard it preached. If the foundations, and by the way in context, because it's a king after David, the context of this is the foundations of government in David's day. Are you listening to me? If those foundations are crumbling, what can the righteous do? And here's the way I've always heard it applied. We can't do anything. We just throw up our hands in frustration. Man, if the foundations are being destroyed, we're toast as a nation. That is not what this verse is saying. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Look again at verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And beginning at verse 4, the response that is given is this. What can the righteous do? Well, number one, we can know some stuff. 
We can know some stuff. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? Look at the first four. The first thing we can know is this, is that God sits on his throne. Can I hear an amen? God sits on his throne. Look at verse four. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. Just write this down. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Number one, we can know some things. First thing we can know is this. He sits. He sits. Brother Steve, he sits where he's always sat. He sits where he's always... God didn't wake up this morning and go, Oh my goodness, Dave, I didn't know that you had to drive all the way from Washington, D.C. And you're going to be... No, God knew that from before the foundation of the world. And he's given me the strength to be here. Can I hear an amen? God knows everything about what you're facing. He sits where he's always sat. I know it may sound trite, but it is very true. A guy said to me years ago, Preacher, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? That is a powerful thought when it wraps itself around your brain and your heart. Wow. He sits. Not only does he sit, number two, we can know this. He sees. The one that sits on his throne in heaven and hadn't gone anywhere sees what's going on. Can I hear an amen there? Look at your Bible, verse number four. His eyes behold. Middle of the verse. His eyes behold. His eyelids try or test the children of men. Now, folks, look at me. This is so important. If you're looking around watching your country go to hell in a handbasket, or if anything else is going on in your life, maybe it's the foundation of your physical health that is crumbling. Maybe it's the relationships in your family that are crumbling. If the foundation of anything be destroyed, folks, what we need to understand is we can know some things, and the first thing we can know is that he sits. Number two, he sees. Wow. You say, preacher, why is that important to you? Because, folk, I watch. I watch the news. But we get to live part of it. I mean, we deal with these people you watch on the news. Typically, my son and George do every single day of their life. Please tell me you're not the, I'm not the only one that feels this way. Maybe somebody else feels this way with me. Do you ever watch these people on the news who would lie when the truth would be better? Any of you just have a compulsion to insert your hands through the television screen? Put your mitts around the necks of some of these people and just please tell me I'm not the only person that feels that way. Yeah. Preacher, do they frustrate you? You bet your life they do. But you know what? I love every one of them. People in church frustrate me too. <laughs> From time to time. But I love folks. And the need of these folks on Capitol Hill is Jesus. Can I say this? The one that sits on his throne in heaven sees everything they're doing. And you know what? I don't have to right every wrong. Neither do you. You say, preacher, why do you say that? Look at the third thing. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, we can know some stuff. First thing we can know is he sits. Number two, he sees. Number three, we can know this. He sorts. He sorts. He's going to sort all this stuff out. Look again at verse four. His eyes behold, middle of verse four. His eyelids try or test. Great synonym would be this in Hebrew. He sorts out the children of men. Look at verse 5. The Lord trieth. Same word again. He sorts out the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Do you see the sorting process? God has this for the righteous. He has this for the wicked. There's a sorting going to take. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Folk, listen to me. I'm sorry. I was listening, driving down here to a report. And by the way, I'm excited about it because I've told people this for months. Preachers, anything going to come from the John Durham report? How many of you know who John Durham is? Bill Barr, Attorney General. You know, they're looking into the origination of the whole Russia collusion hoax thing that we had to live with for three and a half years. They're looking into, forgive me, folk, I'm not trying to be political, but they're looking into how and why Mrs. Clinton deleted 33,000 emails, beat up a bunch of her Blackberry phones, bleach-bitted, you know, some of the computers. Why did she, what was she trying to... Preacher, if you and I did that, we'd be in jail for 50 years and wouldn't get out. Is everybody with me? If you did that, so would you. So what gives with her? Preacher, is she going to have to face the music? Heard today, Mr. Durham has expanded his investigation into the Clinton Foundation. Pardon me while I have a hissy fit. Brother Jones, I'm sick and tired of a double standard in our judicial system. Sick and tired. 
Lady Justice ought to be blind. She is on the front of the Supreme Court. She has a blind photo. She's not supposed to see who's in front of her, how much money they make, or whether they're a well-known politician or not. She's supposed to make decisions based on unanimity and equal justice before the law. Can I hear an amen? amen. Some people have gotten by, but I want you to understand something. They may get by for a little while down here, but they're never going to get by at God's throne. No, sir. If the foundations of government are crumbling, what can the righteous do? We can know some stuff. And what we can know is he sits and he sees and he's going to sort all this out. Number four, there's a fourth thing we can know in preacher. I don't relish in this, but it is a powerful truth. Number four, he sends judgment. We can know that he sits, he sees, he sorts. And he'll send judgment in his time. Now I want you to look, if you would please, at verse number five again. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence, his, God's, soul. Would you say the next word out loud? God's soul does what? Now, folks, look at me for a minute. I want to try to explain something to you, and I don't want to go far afield, but I want you to hear me out. Have you heard this? Have you said this? Because I've heard and said it myself. God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. You know, that, 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 that's true. But according to verse 5, we need to go one step further. There are times where God actually hates the sinner. Look at verse 5 again. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence, his, that refers back to the Lord, the Lord's soul does what? Hateth. Now look at me for a minute. I'll try to explain something to you. A couple of years ago, I was in the home of a lady who lives not far from here. And she said, my son is in federal prison for double homicide. She said, will you go visit him? I said, yes, ma'am, I will. I said, what, what prison's he in? She told me. When I said I would go, preacher, she literally reached from behind her in the chair where she was sitting, kind of an overstuffed chair, and she pulled out a plastic Ziploc bag that must have had 40, 50 quarters in it. She handed it to me and she said, preacher, when you go visit my son, she said he's kind of a diminutive guy, he's kind of a small guy. And she said, you know all the guys in the prison, they have nothing to do with their time except sit around and pump iron. They get built up, massive guys, strong guys. And she says, every night at dinner, every day at breakfast and lunch, he'll get his food on his tray. When he goes and sits down, these big muscular guys will come and they'll take his food away from him and he never gets enough to eat. But she said he loves those nabs. I've heard... Cheese crackers. Anybody ever heard them called nabs? You know, somebody told me one time, I said, where'd that, where'd that come from? They said it's short for Nabisco. You know, nabs, Nabisco. And so I guess that's right. Well, anyway, it's the best explanation I've heard. So anyway, she said, my son loves these nabs. And she said, but they're in machines and it takes quarters that you put in the machine. You pull a little lever and the nabs, the cheese crackers fall out. Would you take these to him, these quarters, so that he can have what he wants? I said, yes, ma'am, I will. And she said, here's why I want you to do that. Because I love my boy. And she began to weep. I said, well, ma'am, if you don't mind me asking, can you tell me a little more of the details about why he's incarcerated in federal penitentiary? She said, well, it was double homicide. I said, I understand that. But can you share with me, if you don't mind, you don't have to, but if you wouldn't mind sharing me a little of the details. She said, okay. She said, he came home from third shift, walked into his own house. Forgive me, not trying to be gross or graphic, but he walked into a bedroom and he said, his wife, my son's wife, was in bed with my son, what he thought was, his best friend. Preacher, he exited the bedroom, came to the mantle above the fireplace, lifted a double-barrel shotgun off of the hooks above the fireplace, opened it up, rammed two shells in, closed it, came back, forgive me folks, put one into the boyfriend and one into his wife, killed both of them, double homicide. She said he then jumps into his car. By the way, all this happened right down in Cherryville, North Carolina. Jumps into his car he speeds away. It's about 9.30 at night. Neighbors hear the gunshots. Come over, hear the car speeding away. One, one person walks inside because the door is standing wide open, finds the two bodies. They call 911 APB. All points bulletin now. Looking for Tommy's car. The police find him. They begin a pursuit. And Pastor, outside Cherryville, there's some, some, some straight roads that have little, you know, just little rises and dips. And he'd go over a dip, and he was looking in the rearview mirror. He couldn't see the police cars behind him. So here's what he thought. I'll turn, while I'm in one of the dips, I'll turn into a cornfield, and they'll never find me. And he would have succeeded. He'd have been buried in the middle of the corn at night, dark, 
Had he not done this, when he got into the cornfield, he put his foot on the brake to get the car stopped, but left it there. Tail light slid up over the hill. They come, oh, there he is, and they pull into the cornfield and get him. Be sure your sin will find you out. Can I hear an amen? They arrest him. A trial ensues. Convicted. Double homicide, double murder. Sentenced to life in prison. Wow. As that mother is telling me that, she changed totally in her demeanor. She looked at me and I'll never forget it. She said, preacher, my boy has disgraced our family name by that double murder and killing his own wife. He has disgraced the God of heaven. And she said, for that, I hate him. Now, folk, listen to me. Just minutes earlier, I love him so much, I want him to have these quarters so we can get the nabs. But I also hate him. Now, folk, listen to me. Love and hate are not opposite. They're not. Love and no love are opposite. Just like the opposite of light is darkness. And all darkness is, is the absence of light. All no love is, is the absence of love. I submit to you that we can have in our own bosom, a mother can, she can have a, a, an intense love for her son and an intense hatred at the same time. Are you with me? And if that can exist in the bosom of a mother, I promise you it can exist in the bosom of a holy, righteous God who loves righteously and hates right. Are you with me? Preacher, I'm trying to tell you, we don't understand what's going on in our... God's sick and tired of the junk and the sin. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be silly. But if I come in tonight, preacher, and I'm doing this, please, please don't humor me. If I'm coming down the aisle going... And you say, well, welcome tonight, Brother Dave. And I say, Brother Steve, I'm not Brother Dave. I, I went and took a nap this afternoon, and I woke up from my nap, and I perceived myself to be an automobile. So I'm an automobile now. And the rest of the week, I'm going to be an automobile. You know what your pastor will not do? He will not look at me and say, well, bless your heart, Brother Dave. Here's 20 bucks for a fill-up and a coupon for an oil change. He's not going to do that. He's going to love me enough to say, Preacher, you are not an automobile. You're a human being. Can I hear an amen? That's what loving people do. And yet we're having people saying, I woke up today and I perceived myself to be a female when I was born biological male. And so my perception... Now it means I am a female and I'll be able to use the female restroom or the male restroom, whatever, at Target. Preacher, the chances of me waking up from a nap this afternoon, perceiving myself being an automobile now makes me an automobile, is greater than me waking up and thinking because I was born biological male but I perceive myself to be a female now, that makes me a female. That's insane. And folk were humoring that kind of stuff. The God of heaven who loves people but at the same time sees their defiance and with a holy, righteous, never because he takes it against him, because they sin against truth, he can hate holy like he loves righteously and in a holy manner. Now, folk, please hear me. God's going to send judgment. In his time. Look at your Bible. Won't you look at verse number six? Here comes the judgment. Upon the wicked, he, God, shall rain snares, fire, and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. Are you with me? Look at verse seven, though. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. Look at this next phrase. Oh, I love this. His countenance doth, would you say the next word out loud? His countenance doth what? The who? The upright. Upright means you wanting to live right. Do you know if you want to live right today in this auditorium? God's countenance doth behold. The word behold in Hebrew means this. He looks with favor. He looks with favor. Listen, God's for you today. Can I hear an amen? He's looking with favor on you. He's looking with favor. 
by the way, the Bible says, the favor of the Lord maketh rich. I had a guy ask me while we were in D.C., meeting with a guy with my faith votes. He said, how do you guys do what you do in D.C. on the limited budget? I said, let me tell you how we do it. It's called the favor of God. That's what it is. The favor of God is better than a full bank account. God's looking on you, sir, ma'am, young man, young lady. So if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, we can know some stuff. And what we can know is he sits, he sees, he sorts. And in his time, he's going to send judgment. But I want you to notice something. The question was not what can the righteous know. The question is what can the righteous do? Now, without being unnecessarily verbose, lengthy, I want to suggest there's three things. If you're watching the foundations of government, your country, your health, your family relationships, your finances. If the foundation of anything is crumbling and being destroyed, what can I do about that, Brother Dave? Can I suggest to you, number one, please write this down. We can and should pray. Yes, sir. We can. I know, I know what you're thinking. Preacher, I've heard that all my life. I know and you're going to hear it again today. <laughs> we can and should pray. I believe God delights to hear and answer the prayers of His people. Now, forgive the silly illustration. You guys remember our oldest daughter, Rachel, she, you know, violinist. Well, when she turned 16, my wife came to me and she said, Honey, we're going to have to have you go with us over to Raleigh, North Carolina. By the way, at that time, uh, Rachel's teacher was the concert master for the North Carolina Symphony, and he lived in Raleigh. So she said, You're going to have to go with us to Raleigh because Brian is the guy's name, concert master. He's going to have to tell you the kind of violin that we need to purchase now for Rachel that she will use the rest of her life. We'd been buying, you know, used violins, you know, spending. What I thought was a reasonable amount of money for. I mean, 600 bucks, that's a lot of money. Can I hear an amen? amen? But I'm going to have to now learn the kind of violin that she's going to use the rest of her life. It's got to be a good one. So we arrive over in Raleigh, and I go in, and Brian, Brian's a great guy. He's a wonderful guy. And I said, Brian, I, I hear I'm here you know, to, for you to inform me the kind of violin we're going to have to get for Rachel you know, for the rest of her life. He said, yes, sir. And I said, well, how much are we? You know, you know the way we are, guys. The, the wife shows you a dress, and we're, we're trying to find the price tag. Yeah. You know, that's, if it's in the price range, it looks great on her. You know what we're saying? So that's, I'm, I'm that way. So anyway, so I said, well, Brian, how much are we looking at for this violin that Rachel's going to use the rest of her life? Here's where he started. He said, well, my violin that I've used the rest of my life cost me $100,000. <laughs> I said, you got ripped off, buddy. That's what I mean for wood and some strings, a little bit of horse hair. You got ripped off. I looked at my sweet bride and said, honey, we ain't paying $100,000 for no violin. He said, no, you don't have to. I said, good, we agree on that. How much are we going to have to spend? He said, well, to get what Rachel needs. You're going to have to spend somewhere in the neighborhood, no joke, of $30,000. You know, the kids text it, LOL. <laughs> I looked at Betsy and I did that. <laughs> I said, honey, where in heaven's name are we going to get $30,000 for a violin? And my wife, I hate she's not here today, but she'd been gone with me all last week. She's got to be back playing the piano at our home church because that's her job. But she put her hands on her hips and she looked at me and she said, you're the preacher, big boy. <laughs> she said, we're going to pray it in. That's exactly what she said. I'm so thankful for ladies that have a faith, man, in God sometimes we don't have. There's not a church I've ever been in, but what that church would be better with more women like that. Can I hear an amen? Wow. We're going to pray it in. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because what happened that I'm about to describe next, it was me with no faith, none. I mean, every, every time we'd have a meal, Betsy, don't forget to pray about the violin. Here's the way I do it. Lord, <laughs> Lord, we need $30,000 for a violin. We pray that you would provide that. I, preacher, I had no faith, none, zero. My wife had great faith. In those days, we didn't have a house that we lived in full time. We lived in a 40-foot long by 8-foot wide trailer. Tiny little bathroom. Bathroom in one of those RVs is so small, you don't have enough room in there to change your mind, much less change anything else. That's our home. So we didn't have a post office box. And so we rented a post office box on the other side of Hickory. And uh, the post office there was next to a gym. I don't mean a basketball gym, but, you know, a workout gym. So what I'd do, uh, Brother Steve, I'd go in and I'd do, I'd do my workout. And then I'd swing by the post office box and I'd grab our mail and go sit in the car, go through the mail. Well, I'm going through that routine. 
Finish the workout, go by the post office box, grab the mail, sit down in the car. I'm going through the mail, and all of a sudden there was a letter in there, kind of legal, you know, legal size envelope, and it had a return address from an attorney's office in Halls, Tennessee. I'd preached in Halls, Tennessee three months earlier. Great men of faith that I am. Here's the first thought went through my mind. Oh my goodness, I said something over there, somebody got offended, and they're suing me, and this is the notification. <laughs> it's exactly what I thought. So reluctantly, I tear the envelope open, slide the letter out, open it up. And Brother Jones, here's how it began. Dear Mr. Kissler, first paragraph, you have been referenced in the last will and testament of one Evelyn Lancaster. That was the lady's name. When I read the name, I remembered her immediately. She stood about 4'10". She was a little short lady. And what I remember about her is this. After a church service at Maranatha Baptist Church in Ripley, Tennessee, to get to Ripley, Tennessee, you go to the end of the world and turn left. I mean, it is in the middle of nowhere. And this little lady came up to me on a Tuesday night and she said, Preacher, I want you to sign my Bible, but the one I want you to sign is not the one I've got with me tonight. It's at the house. She said, it's the, the second house up past the church, past the cornfield. She said, could you come up there tomorrow at 11 o'clock? Just drive up there. I'll meet you on the carport. You can sign my Bible. I said, well, I said, Miss Evelyn, I, I, I'm not a big you know, Bible. I, I'll do it, but you know, I'm, not a, I'm not a hero or a celebrity or anything of the sort. She said, no, I've gotten every person that's ever preached at Maranatha in 55 years of me attending. I've got their name in my Bible on those white pages. I said, well, okay, I'll be up there about 11. So sure enough, next day, about 5 of 11, I hopped in the truck, drove up there, drove in. She was already waiting on the, on, the, on the carport of her house. She had a Bible and a pen in hand. She said, just find yourself a blank spot and put your signature. Brother, I opened up those pages in the front of the Bible that were filled with signatures. Preacher, I'm talking about the great preachers. She had J. Harold Smith's name. Payday someday. What a sermon. I'm looking through there and I saw one that was one of my heroes. James Alexander Stewart, the great Scottish revivalist. I said, Miss Evelyn, you got Dr. Stewart's signature? I said, I've read everything he's, I've read every book on revival he's ever written. When was he at Maranatha? She said, in 1955. I said, what do you remember about him? Why don't you listen to what she said? She said, I remember how frustrated he was with American Christianity. In 1955. Man, if we could exhume him and he could see where we are today, boy, he'd really be frustrated, wouldn't he? I said, Miss Evelyn, I said, thank you, but no thank you. I'm not worthy to put my name with these men. And I handed her a Bible and pen back. And preacher, no, co- no joke, she put her hands on her hips and she looked at me and she said, you're signing my Bible or you're not leaving my driveway. <laughs> my dad had said, you know, sometimes people, you know, have loaded weapons behind the door when you knock. And I didn't know she had one lying somewhere. Turn my back to get my truck. <laughs> she would blow me away. I didn't know. I'm just young in the ministry. So I said, okay, Miss Evelyn, I'll, I'll sign it. And I signed it like I always do, E-V-A-N-G, Evangelist Dave Kistler. And I put my life verse, 1 Samuel 12, 24, which says this, Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things He hath done for you. Closed the Bible, handed her the pen in the Bible, never thought another thing about it. Now I've got a letter that says, You have been referenced in the last will and testament of that little lady. Fifteen years since I've seen her. Preacher, I begin to look down. Do you know when that little lady died? living in a little cracker box house out in the middle of a cornfield just north of Memphis and Ripley, Tennessee. You know how much money she had in her bank account? $450,000. Wow. She had no family, no children. She never married. Do you know she left every penny of that $450,000 to ministries? Every penny. I remember the first ministry on the list by the way, the first increment was 50000 and she had three of those. She gave 50000 to three, and the first ministry was the Sword of the Lord publisher newspaper. How many remember the Sword of the Lord? 50 grand she left to them. Two others. Then the increments went to 30000 Number two on that list was Dave Kistler family. I grabbed my cell phone. I said, honey, are you sitting down? She said, should I? I said, you may want to. I said, I've got a letter here that says we've been referenced in the last will and testament of Evelyn Lancaster. Do you remember her? She said, oh, of course I remember her. She loved our family, loved our children. I said, yes. And she said, I, I didn't know she had died. I said, I didn't either. Didn't even know she was sick. It's been 15 years since we've seen her. 
But she left us, sweetheart. Are you ready? $30,000. Miss Tammy, my wife said, got to go, got to call the violin maker. And she hung up on me. She hung up on me. Don't you tell me God doesn't answer prayer. Yes, He does. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails, accomplishes much. God's going to answer the prayers of some people in this room who have been begging God to save a loved one, begging God to send revival, begging God to heal. The effectual, fervent, boiling hot prayer of a righteous person avails much. So if the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Number one, we can pray. Number two, please write this down. We can and should participate. Now I'm just going to say this for what it's worth. We're 37 days away from the next election. And if I'm going to tell you something, we can and should participate. Which means that my dad used to tell me, son, if you don't vote, you forfeited in my presence the right to complain about anything going on in the country. You don't vote, you don't complain in my presence. And he said, by the way, son, don't vote party. And don't even vote person. Vote principle. You find, I don't care what their personality is, you find people whose policies and principles most closely align with the Bible and you vote for them. And he said, son, there will never be a perfect candidate. Because Jesus isn't going to be on any ballot. You know why? Because Jesus doesn't run for election. He rules by divine fiat. He made all this. It's his. He rules by divine fiat. So until Jesus is on a ballot, and he'll never be, you vote for the person who most closely supports policies that are biblical in nature. Now I violated that one time. I voted for the first time in 1980 for Ronald Reagan. I loved Reagan. He was funny. He was winsome. He was all... Since then... By the way, he was... He had biblical principles part of his administration too. But since then, I've tried to vote principle. Are you with me? Yeah. Folk, we ought to participate. Yeah. God only has three institutions, home, church, civil government. He wants us involved in the home as leaders, men. Yeah. Teachers, ladies, yeah. raise your chip. He wants us involved in his church. The church is his idea. Can you hear an amen? Civil government's his idea too. We're in the mess we're in because Christians abandoned this one and said, let the lost world have it. It went dark like it's always going to do. What we need to do is get some light shine back in it. That's why we're on the hill. And tonight, you're going to see some light that the media will never show you. You're going to feel what God's doing. Folk, listen to me. We need to participate if the foundations are being destroyed. Number three, and with this I'm done. Not only pray and participate, that's what the righteous can do, but number three, we need to prepare for blessing. We need to prepare for blessing. Say, preacher, what do you mean? Folk, if we're going to pray, we ought to prepare for God to answer. What does it do to pray? If we're not going to prepare. I don't know how many of you know, but I love this brother. Several years ago, I met him at a National Day of Prayer event. I'm talking about Dr. Tony Evans. How many of you know who Dr. Tony Evans is? Have you read his book, Kingdom Man? Kingdom Man. Isn't that a first chapter? By the way, he can say this and get by with it. I can't, so I'm quoting him. But here's what he said. A kingdom man is the kind of guy that when he gets up in the morning and puts his feet on the floor, the devil says, oh crap, he's up. (laughs) Not me, that's Dr. Evans, okay? It means this, the devil's going, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. That kingdom man just woke up. I'm going to have trouble all day. We need kingdom men, don't we? Kingdom ladies, kingdom young people. When I met Dr. Evans, I said, I said, Dr. Tony, let me ask you a question. I said, I know a few years ago, some of y'all may have gone to this. I said, I know a few years ago I didn't get to go, but I heard about it. You did a one-day crusade at Williams-Brice Stadium where the University of South Carolina football team plays. And I said, I've heard a little bit about the story. Can you relate it to me again? Because I want to make sure I got my facts straight. Very quickly, he said, any of you you go to that crusade? Any of y'all heard him describe this? Okay, you you can pull it up on the internet. It's awesome. Here's what he told me, Brother Steve. He said, preacher, he said, we'd prepared for months for that revival. 
And so he said the night of the revival, about 6 o'clock, one hour before service starts at 7, we met, he said, in the bowels of Williams Bryce Stadium, in the underneath, you know, in the coach's room. And he said there were 11 preachers and one little African-American sister. And he said, we're going to pray for God to bless the meeting. He said, what we were concerned about primarily, the immediate concern, was a storm was supposed to come in about 7, coming from the west toward the east, and it was supposed to inundate, just, just dump rain everywhere. And this is an outdoor stadium. So he said, we have a problem. So he said, here's the way all the men prayed. He said, I did it too. He said, we all got on our knees. Yeah, I mean, you prayed this way, so have I. Oh, God, if it be your will, I pray it wouldn't rain. Can I say sometimes, and we want God's will, but sometimes we don't have to even pray, God, if it be your will, because some things we already know biblically are God's will. For example, it, God is not willing that any should perish. So if he's not willing that any perish and go to hell eternally, the converse, that is the opposite of that's true, in fact, the Bible says so. He will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So God wants all people to be saved. Can I hear an amen? amen. Yes, now, He'll never make you get saved. That's your choice. But He wants you to be. So we don't have to pray, oh, God, if it's your will, save so-and-so. We already know it's God's will. He said, here's how we prayed. Oh, God, if it be your will, we pray it wouldn't rain tonight. He said, now, I'm just telling you, he said, for me, Dave, he said, that was my off-ramp. He said, I got my off-ramp. God, if it be your will. So if it does rain buckets tonight after we prayed it wouldn't, then I can have as an excuse, well, it wasn't God's will. That's my off-ramp. Everybody understand what I'm saying? So he said, we all went around and we all prayed those safe prayers. He said, we got up to leave and a little African-American sister, I'm just going to say it the way he said she said it. She said, well, brethren, can I pray? He said, Dave, you can't tell a sister she can't pray. So he said, we told her, yes, you can pray. Now, I'm going to do what she did. He said, here's what she did. She got down on one knee and she raised her right hand and she literally did this. Oh, God, you would embarrass yourself if you let it rain tonight. Because, God, we have prayed for months that this revival, this crusade might be blessed of you. And if it rains, people's attention will be diverted. They'll leave the state. So, God, you would embarrass yourself. If, we let, if you let it rain. So God, I'm asking, keep the rain away. Or if it comes, Lord, don't let it hit the stadium. Send half of it south, half of it north, but keep it dry in the stadium. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. He said, she stood up and said, well, let's go. He said, now I'm up on the platform. He said, the service starts. We have chairs down on the field of williams Bryce Stadium. He said, I'm standing here. And down on the front row was this little African-American sister. And beside her, Pastor Steve, was one of the men in the prayer room. He said, I looked to the west. They could look to the west and see the same thing. You know how you can see rain falling in the distance, lightning? He said, we could see all of that coming this way. He said, Davis, I'm standing here. Down on the front row, a man that had been in the prayer room praying with us, Lord, don't let it rain. He reached over, took out an umbrella, opened it. And held it over the little African-American sister to shield her from that which they prayed wouldn't happen. He said from up there, I, c- I couldn't hear her, but I could read her lips. She looked at that guy and she said it emphatically as she pushed the umbrella away. She said, I'm not going to need it. I'm not going to need it. And then the exclamation point, and neither are you. By the way, you can pull it up and watch it. He describes it. He said, as that storm hit the west parking lot of Williams-Brice Stadium, he said, it split. And half went south and half went north. Just flooded the parking lots of the south and the north, parking lots of that stadium. Didn't drop a drop in Williams-Brice. Can I hear an amen? Wow. Folk, I'm here to tell you, we serve a God who answers prayer. I've lived too long and I've been in the ministry for 36 years and I've seen God do stuff that no man could ever make happen in dramatic answer to the prayers of God's people. So what can the righteous do? We can pray. and We can and should participate. And folk, I want to tell you this, we ought to prepare for God to do what we've been asking Him to do. Run your sail up. You can have the greatest ship in all the world and the wind can be blowing hard. But if your sail's down, you're going to sit dead in the water. Are you with me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
What I want to see God do today and all this week, I want to see Him blow His Spirit, but I want us to have our sails up spiritually so He can blow us where He wants us to go. Move us where He wants us to move. Are you with me? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, would you speak to us today? Father, I pray we'd understand you're an awesome God. And Lord, what I witnessed yesterday on the National Mall on two levels was an answer to prayer. Lord, 50 to 100,000 people on their face, many of them flat on their bellies, lying in the grass of the National Mall, pouring their heart out to you in confession. And Lord, repenting and asking you, O oh God, to forgive them and then use them as a catalyst for revival. And Father, I pray the same thing would occur here today in this incredible church that you've planted in this strategic place in North Carolina. Father, would you work? And Father, I'll thank you and praise you for what you do. Now friends, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask you just a couple of very candid questions. Question number one is simply this. How many of you can say with absolute certainty, Dave, of this I'm sure, Jesus Christ is my Savior. I know when I die I'm going to heaven. I don't have a doubt about that. I know I've been saved. I know when I die I'm going to heaven. If you know that's true, would you lift your hand hold it as high as you can? Now if you don't know, just keep your hand down. Be honest. If you do know, hold it up just a moment. Thank you. You may put your hand down. Bless your heart. Second question. Folks, this is the most important query or question you will ever be posed. Please be honest. Are there some in the room today that in all honesty you do not know for certain that when you die you're going to heaven? But God has been speaking to you. And today he's been ringing your doorbell again and saying, hey, he's talking to you. You don't know you're going to heaven. Friend, if you're not sure you're going to heaven, but God's dealing with your heart, you'd be willing to say, Dave, I'm concerned about where I'm going to spend eternity, the life after this life. I'm concerned about where I'm going to spend eternity, concerned enough that preacher, I'd like you to pray for me. Friend, I'd love nothing more than to have that privilege to pray for you that before it's too late, you'll be saved. Is there anyone like that? And right now you'd lift your hand long enough for me to see it. I'm the only one looking. Dave, I'm not sure that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Not sure I'm saved, but I'm concerned about that. And I'm concerned enough that I'd like you to pray for me. Anyone like that? And you'd lift your hand. All right, one final question. Church, hear me, please. Yesterday, a man made a powerful statement. He said, what is the difference, as he posed the question, what is the difference between confession and repentance? He said, what we need in America and in the American church for revival is repentance. He then created this distinction. Listen to what he said. He's exactly right biblically. He said, confession is what we do on our way down to our knees. Repentance is what we do on our way up. Won't you think about that? Confession is what we do on our way down to our knees. Oh God, here's what I've done wrong. Repentance, because the biblical term means to have a change of mind that results in a change of action. Repentance is what we do on the way up. That is, we live differently if we've really repented. Wow, that's powerful. Church, I want to ask you something because God wants to send revival. Yesterday was a pivotal day. Today is an absolutely crucial day for you and for me. Do you want God to send revival? I mean, really, to you. To you. Well, Dave, our world's gone crazy. I know it has. We've been here before. Israel was there. Foundations are destroyed. What can the righteous do? Well, we can pray. We can participate. We can prepare for God to answer. All I'm asking this morning is this. If God has spoken to you as a Christian man, a Christian woman, young person, you'd say, Lord, I get this. I really do. I get this. And Lord, I want to have my sail up the rest of this week. 
so that when you blow, whether it's today, tonight, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Lord, I want to have my sail up. I don't want to be caught with a sail down. I want to have the sail up so that, Lord, you can move me and put me where you want me to be. If that's you as a Christian, maybe you have some sin you need to confess and repent of, but at least, at very least, you want to run your sail up today and let God know, God, I'm going to, I want to run the sail up of my spiritual life. Be sensitive to you so you can move and work in my life and put me, push me, direct me where you want me to go. All this week and well beyond. If that's the desire of your heart, I want to invite you to do something today. Would you be willing just to get up from where you're currently seated and join those that have already come down around this altar and just tell God that? God bless you, man. God, I want, God bless you, man. I just want to have my... God bless you. Ma'am, and you, ma'am, and you, young man, thank God for you. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir, and you, sir, and dear couple, thank God for you. God bless you, ma'am, and you, sir, and you, sir. Lord, I just want to have my sail up all the way so that whenever you speak, you move. You can move me where you want me to go. Folks, this is pivotal stuff. It's important. It's critical. God bless you, folks. I'm running my sail up this morning, Lord. I'm running my sail up. Direct my life. God wants to do more with you than you've ever imagined right now in this day and time. I get it, Lord. I'm telling you, Lord, I'm running my spiritual sail up so that when you blow, you can direct me. Father, I pray you would bless your people today. Lord, would you help us tonight and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday to let you, Lord, move us, change us, direct us, call us into things, Lord, that you have had in mind for us perhaps Perhaps, Lord, our sin has kept us from seeing it and understanding it. But, Lord, you've had things in mind for us from the foundation of the world. What you wanted us to do and how you wanted to use our lives. Father, I pray this week we would discern what it is, see it. And then, Lord, get at it because we got our sail up. You can direct us where you want us to go. We ask these things, Lord Jesus, in your name for your glory and honor alone. And all God's people who prayed with me said,